when I learned to sit with my anger and feel it, not run away from it, not just um, act it out, just feel it and use it in a, in a healthy way, anger will quickly transform into passion, decisiveness, and successful leadership. Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Gennari. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. Hey, Robin. Hey, Anne-Therese. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the final episode of season four. We are so excited. It was a sad to wrap up the season, but it's been an incredible run and so many incredible guests. How do you feel? Oh my gosh. It's such an honor and a privilege to do this show with you, Andrews, because I always learn so much from you and I learned so much from our guests. We've been so lucky to have amazing guests on the show. There's so many great episodes. My friends, if you haven't heard all of them, we would love for you to go back. And um, my lovely cousin, Anna, who is a huge fan, by the way, also said that she wasn't sure where to rate the podcast. So if you haven't done so yet, on uh, Apple Podcasts, you can go to our page, scroll down past the episodes that they display. You'll see information about the hosts. And then below that, there's an opportunity to rate the podcast. And we so appreciate it if you take a moment to do that. Yes, please. It's just so helpful because that is really the only way for a podcast to be rated and um, for us to reach even more listeners. So if we can continue to grow this podcast, that would be amazing. And with the help of all you guys. So after you finish, or if you want to stop right now and just head over uh, to the Apple <laughs> podcast and um, give us a little bit of a review and some stars, please give us five. Um, we would love it. We would love yes. it. Yeah. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We've got su such great feedback and amazing like personal messages. So thank you to everybody who's reached out. And Therese, you know, end of the season, how do you feel? We're heading into uh, climate month is coming up. How are you feeling? I, yeah, it's, it's been a weird year. And I feel like as so many people feel it's, it's just been, do you hear that siren in the background? We do. You're in New York. Okay. Well, it's crazy because just last year in April, I, um, I texted my dad and I was like, dad, I have this vision that I want to be um, hosting climate workshops for companies and their employees. And I think it could be really valuable for people in companies to, to be more inspired about all the actions they can take on a daily basis and how that goes back into the company and, um, you know, um, how it, you know, benefits everyone basically to, to care more about the climate and, and the world. And this year for climate month, I am well, earth month really is what it's called. I am pretty booked. I am hosting so many workshops for companies. And for me, it's just like this reminder that things are happening, you know, not just for yeah. me, but for the world, just the fact that companies want to do that, I think is a huge win. I've been in the climate space for so many years now and really have been traveling down this confusing path of how could I ever make a living doing this? And what am I supposed to be doing? And just continuing to try to follow my heart and, and see the signs and trusting myself and, so yeah, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I really am for finding, you know, something quite unique and then thinking that could be something 
valuable to companies and to people. And um, yeah, it's, it feels good. I'm, <laughs> I'm ramping up for a very busy earth month, but I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm so happy for you. That's so wonderful. And what, what an inspiring story that's happening for you. That's unfolding that we get to hear about, because you were saying that a year ago, it was just a vision. And I love that, that we have that possibility to have a vision, to really be able to imagine what we want our lives to look like and to take steps towards making that happen. And that dreams come true. Things happen. You know, these things, they can fall into place. Um, I'm really happy for you, Anne Therese. Thank you. And also thank you for bringing that vision up because I feel like it applies to everything we're doing in this work. You know, we have mm-hmm. to find the courage to envision something different and believe that with the right amount of work and commitment and, and excitement, it can actually come true. And so the reality we know right now is just today's reality. The reality mm-hmm. of tomorrow can look very different. And so what do we want that reality to look like? And how do we start putting our energy and attention towards the world that we actually want and not just the one that we're trying to avoid? So, yeah. I love that. And that's such a good reason too, if anyone doesn't already subscribe to the Climate Optimist newsletter, I love getting your weekly newsletters because it's so uplifting and optimistic. And really there's always those invitations to imagine a better future. And that's how we pull that future closer. Thank you. So what's going on for you, Robin? Do you have any news to share? Yeah, well, I I decided I wanted to share something really personal today. And um, I, I might cry while I talk about it. So just a heads up, but um, I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage. And of course it was, it was really tough. It was really, really tough. You know, we were you know, swept up in the emotions of the anticipation of having a baby and what that would mean for our family. We already have one beautiful, healthy son. And so to expand our family is this wonderful blessing and to lose that it's, it's very painful. And so many insights and realizations have come up from this experience. So um, I'll share with you, our listeners that, um, you know, I was, I was six weeks pregnant Um, I went to the OBGYN when I started bleeding and found out that it wasn't the right shape or size. It looked very much like I was going to miscarry and I did, but I was able to catch it and actually save the little um, embryo and the little tiny, tiny um, uh, placenta and bury it under a tree by a waterfall here in Costa Rica. So I can visit it anytime that I want, which is really, really special. So one of the things that I learned through this process was how powerful rituals are and how rituals helped me to embody everything that I was feeling with the sense of loss and grief that doing rituals really helped me to process it in a real way. And it happened that I was helping Anne Therese work on our last episode with Jack Adam Weber. And it was a very profound episode to listen to while I was experiencing my own personal grief, because he goes into detail about how embodying grief is how we process that pain. And that when we don't process the pain, it becomes suffering. But when we let ourselves feel these difficult emotions, how it really, I mean, it enriches our lives. And the embodiment of that is how we move through it it was very helpful for me. So even though in that we were talking about the context of climate grief, it was very helpful for me to, to process it. Um, and the other thing I wanted to share, that was a realization that was really powerful for me. And, you know, for, for everybody, especially women, 
I noticed that when I knew that I was pregnant, my mental self-talk was so kind. I was suddenly so kind with myself. I was, I love my round belly. I love my round hips. And I was so like kind and gentle. And I noticed that it was a shift from the mental policing that I do about my body the rest of the time. And so for me, I'm moving into, you know, you may have heard that my word for the year is wholeness. Um, in one of our episodes around the new year, I really am, am trying to live into the feeling of wholeness that I am whole. I am not lacking. And this was a reminder for me that I have to practice that daily, that wholeness is a practice, just like meditation is a practice. So the gifts for me from this experience are really living into my body, loving my body, practicing that love, and to really feel and embody the emotions that come up as difficult as they might be to help to process them. And to know that miscarriage is something that's incredibly common. It's not often talked about, but it's something that it's the vast majority of the time, it's not your fault. It's just something that happens. And that even when these very, very difficult things happen in our lives, there are seeds for opportunity for growth from this experience. Thank you for sharing that. I um, really appreciate you and um, love you, as you know. And I think it's powerful that you choose to share this because I feel like we need to be more just open and vulnerable with each other and something really beautiful you shared with me before you knew that you were, you were miscarrying, but you thought you were having a child was just understanding of what it means to nurture oneself in the world. And that what's something that pregnancy has taught you from having a son previously is that it takes patience. Anything beautiful takes, takes mm -hmm. time and patience. And yeah. you said that in relate relatedness to the climate work. And I had just shared, you know, that one of my mentors had told me that, you know, if something is really meaningful to you, if you really care about something, you can't rush it. You know, it has to come from your intention. And I think when it comes to climate change and the work we're trying to do, we do carry this sense of urgency because we know it's, it's urgent, but the, the sense of urgency in itself is not helping because that's how you rush into another problem or you're overthinking things, or you're not speaking from your truth or acting from your truth. And so or you how burn can out. You or you burn out, you know, so how can we start to nurture ourselves and take care of ourselves and love ourselves and the journey. And the more we can do that, the more we can slow down and turn inwards and find our community and reach out and connect with one another. That is how we move forward with intention and hopefully success. And that is how we build a different world and not just continue to, you know, build upon the chaotic structure that already exists because it isn't working. Mm -hmm. Yes. That incremental change, that change happens. And in our human experience, sometimes it feels like it's so slow, but in the grand scheme of things, things are moving so quickly. So it's, it's all relative, right? But I love to, in our previous episode, how Jack talks about how our bodies are a bridge to nature. And so when, you, when we talk about connecting with nature, we so often, and I, I absolutely believe this, go outside as much as you can, whether that's a small park, a tree, a plant in your own house. But I, I hadn't had that realization that our bodies our nature and that connecting with nature is connecting with our bodies. That was profound for me. That was I, when I realized that. Yeah. And so, and I love, I love this episode that we're, we're sharing today because Mike talks about how 
embodying anger and using anger as a tool. So I feel like we've recently been really exploring embodying difficult emotions and how that's powerful, both in climate work, but also in our daily lives. Just this human experience is so messy and complicated and it can be very difficult, but there's such gems when we realize the deep truths of what it means to be human. And for me, a lot of it has been really experiencing the difficult emotions that life Mm -hmm. has to offer. And you may have noticed, like Robin said, that we have been heading more into that direction of the deeper, you know, topics and, and exploring more what's going on on the inside. And that was also very intentional because we realized that the work we're here to do is, um, is a lot, right? It's very overwhelming at times. And we are our own warriors, you know, like we are not soul soldiers in any way, but, you know, we need to be able to turn to ourselves and, and find that trust in ourselves and the strength within our own bodies. And so what that means is that, we live in difficult times. And so being able to embody that and, and work through those emotions so that we can come out stronger on the other side, it's so essential, not just for our own health, but for the world as well. And so we, that's what we want to be doing even more of moving forward with this podcast. So if you stick around and wait for season five to come at some point, um, we, we were hoping to get more of those conversations, but yeah, yeah. Um, Mike is a true star. So let's introduce Mike Venny. Yeah, it's been, it was such an amazing conversation. Mike Venny, he's a certified corporate wellness specialist. He tours the country talking to companies and their employees, helping them receive the gift of emotional wellness. So this is a really amazing conversation for how he connects emotional wellness with what you can do in your day-to-day lives and with employees at work. He tours the country talking to companies and their employees, helping them receive the gift of emotional wellness through unique learning experiences designed to empower their personal and professional growth. The International Association for Continuing Education and Training has awarded his company the prestigious role of accredited provider for the amazing work that they do in their continuing education programs. But Mike's life did not start on stage. As a child suffering from severe mental health issues, it was drumming that first led Mike into the spotlight. To be a speaker was the last thing he wanted, and he'll share that too, Um, and a career that he very much stumbled upon without his own knowledge. And in this beautiful conversation with us, he shares how he doesn't believe in passion, but that he's pro-gifts, and that by following your gifts, passion will follow. He also shares how to deal with anger and channel it into empowerment, as well as many other incredible tips for how to best embrace the life we're given here on earth. This was truly an inspiring conversation, and we're so happy to end season four with the one and only Mike Benny. Hi, Mike. I am so stoked to finally have you on the Hate Change podcast. So a big welcome. And um, how are you? I'm good. Well, hello to you and hello to Robin and hello to your listeners out there. I'm doing really well. So you and I clicked quite instantly at a gathering last summer when I actually revealed that I have for more or less my entire life suffered from anger issues. And I don't think I've ever received a response to anger like the one that you gave me because you genuinely got excited. (laughs) 
<laughs> you were like, yes. And I'm like, I was so confused. My person. It's my person. <laughs> and we connected because you're like, I have anger issues too. And it was this kind of bonding that I've, it's just very rare to have with someone you just met. Um, and I guess now the listeners are very curious to know who you are and what you do. So can you please just share a little bit about your background and also how you ended up working as a professional speaker? Oh, wow. Well, um, yes, it was great meeting you. And anger is a great place to start because I've battled anger and sadness and so many other emotions my whole life. We call those mental health challenges. And when I was younger, uh, they were so extreme that it led to me getting hospitalized at a mental health uh, facility, mental hospital three times, expelled from three schools starting in the fourth grade. Um, trigger warning, I'm going to talk about something real serious. I attempted to die by suicide at age 10. And that oh my was the gosh. Wow. So I know the world of mental health really well. And it wasn't until I got into 10th grade when um, I was expelled and no school wanted me. I thought I was going to get to quit school. That's every teenager's dream, right? <laughs> but my mom, my sneaky mother, found a performing arts high school for me that would accept me and allow me to play drums all day. And um, drumming was the one thing that caught me down. You know, it really, really did. And so I went to the school, everything changed for me. My grades went up and actually became a professional drummer straight out of high school. And the career worked. I mean, starting at age 18, I'd be, you know, finished with my uh, exams at the end of first semester and have to get on a plane to be flown around the country, being paid thousands of dollars to play drums. And so the career worked, but it wasn't until 2011 where I, I had thought my mental health issues were gone away. Like, you know, sometimes when we struggle with something, we don't want anyone to know about it. We just want it to go away just so we could like, you know, feel like we fit in. And I realized that they were here to stay. My anger was coming up once again, really intense. And I had a breakdown in 2011 and, um, I reached out to someone who worked in mental health because I was, I was that person on the street. I was talking to myself. I was delusional yelling at people and I was suicidal and the police were actually coming every other day to look for me. Cause I would just disappear for days. I mean, it was, it was bad. And so um, I called this woman who worked in mental health and I said, this is Mike. I met you years ago. I need help. And she goes, Mike, what's up? And I'm like, it's not that kind of call. You know? <laughs> I can't even imitate her. Right? And, 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 and so we're going back and forth. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to die. This is not good. And, and she's like, Mike, so good to hear your voice. We need to hang out. And I'm like, oh my God, frustrated. This is why people die by suicide. But at the end of the call, she goes, can I hire you to be a speaker at my mental health event? And I go, no, I don't want to be a speaker. I don't like motivational speakers. So the next day, <laughs> She did what I call adult bullying. That's where you email somebody and CC a bunch of other people. And she um, said, I'd like to hire you to be a, a speaker at my event. And I said, you know what? Maybe this will be the thing that will stop me from ending my life. And so I put it on the calendar, um, reluctantly did the speaking engagement, got a standing ovation. People kept coming up to me saying, can we hire you? And I'm like, this is weird. This is really weird. But within a year, I was speaking nationally. And um, I realized that, you know, for me, one of my gifts was my mental health challenges. And sometimes in life, you know, we, we talk about doing things that we're passionate about, but I'm actually anti-passion, which we can talk about at some point, but I'm pro-gifts, finding your gifts, because when you discover your gifts and become a servant to them, the byproduct is passion. Mm -hmm. So now, because I'm getting to use those gifts, I get to serve people with mental health challenges. So that's what I do. 
Wow. wow. Okay. So first of all, I just want to say my heart is with you. And I just, I can only imagine like what you and your family has gone through throughout your life as a parent. That is, you know, something that I think about a lot of like, how am I going to raise my, you know, my son to be okay in this world? Cause this world is really messed up and it's really hard actually to be human. Um, so I just want to say, I, I hear you and thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Um, you touched on a bunch of really cool things just at the end of that, that you wrapped up. So can we just circle back to that for a second? Sure. What did I say? <laughs> you, when you, when you talked about how, um, how you're anti-passion, but you're pro gifts, can you elaborate on that just a little bit more? Cause that is a really interesting concept. So I, I love the reactions that people have when I say that it's like, what, you know, you got to find stuff you're passionate about. I don't think people understand that sometimes when people say like, pursue your passions, what people are interpreting is pleasure. Mm. I want a job that feels good. I want to <laughs> feel good. And guess what? If you look at history, past several hundred years, people who were successful, most of them will tell you the job sucked like 75% of the time. You know, so it's just this lately of the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years, you got to be passionate and it's got to feel good. And what's happening is people are moving from career to career, job to job, looking for that feel good thing. And it doesn't really exist. Mm. However, if you have a gift, let's just say you can do a handstand better than anyone and you can walk on your hands and, you know, people are like, oh man, I'm going to start paying you money for this. And you start getting paid thousands of dollars to walk on your hands. Eventually you're going to start to become real passionate about that. Real passion. <laughs> money's so, coming in. <laughs> the money's coming in and people recognizing me. And I think that's, where I've been able to um, find some success in my life was not pursuing passion, but just realizing that, you know, I was um, in college and I was doing public speaking. Uh, we all had to take that class. And, uh, you know, in that class, you got to do one speech and I didn't want to do it. I, I waited till the end. Right. And so I get up for my speech and I actually bashed the teacher and the class as to why it was a waste of time and how I wanted a refund. And he was a horrible teacher in my articulate voice that I'm talking with right now. And everyone's like, oh, no, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And <laughs> like, Mike, I want to talk to you after class. And I'm like, all right, so what's up? And uh, he goes, so regarding your speech, you should become a professional speaker. And I said, Mike, <laughs> no, I don't like professional speakers. So but the thing is, I realized for me, that was a gift. Going back to what you were asking, that's a gift of mine. So why not become a servant to the gift and make it better and help others? Mm. The byproduct is passion. Wow. I love that. It reminds me of, um, uh, there's that saying, um, happiness is a byproduct of a meaningful life. So it's that thing of like pursuing meaning and happiness will happen. But if you pursue happiness, it's always fleeting. It sounds a lot like that. Wow. Yeah. That's really, I'm going to be, I'm going to be thinking about that tonight when I'm supposed to be sleeping for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when I, when I, when I hear you talk about, you know, anger and using your gifts, um, you know, our listeners, we have advocates who are listeners. We have, you know, climate and social justice advocates. We have activists. We also have concerned citizens who are trying to get more engaged and are still learning. Um, what would you say to our listeners about how anger can actually empower you? Well, it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized anger is actually one of the best emotions you can have. And I actually say nowadays, it's the most useful emotion you can have. There are days where I'm feeling good. And I got to go looking for my anger. It's like, come on, where are you? Where are you? Come out. Because anger, we sometimes get uncomfortable when we hear that because we think hostility and violence. 
but they're different things. Hostility and violence are behaviors that anger um, sometimes produces, but anger in and of itself is just a feeling. That's all it really is, right? Mm -hmm. It's what Mm -hmm. we do with it. But when I learn to sit with my anger and feel it, not run away from it, not just um, act it out, just feel it and use it in a, in a healthy way, anger will quickly transform into passion, decisiveness, and successful leadership. You know, it's like putting your foot down. You know, you finally have to put your foot down. You've had enough. That's like serious motivation right there. So that's where anger can be very useful. And a lot of people don't realize that. And oftentimes when we get angry at something, it's that someone has taken away our power or we feel like our power has been taken away from mm-hmm. us. You know what I mean? Even when someone we're driving and someone cuts us off, it's like, you know, I was, you know, having my smooth ride here and you cut me off. Now you, you took away something from me. I'm angry at you. And so it's really important to learn to work with anger and use it, especially if you're an advocate. Now I'm a mental health advocate. So I am a total, um, you know, listener of yours in a sense, because I can, I can relate. And as an advocate, I know for me, I want the world to talk about mental health. I want everyone to talk about their stuff and go to therapy. That's what I want. But I realized that there's a lot of stigma out there. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who think mental health is a joke and a waste of time to talk about. We shouldn't be talking about it. They, mental health challenges don't exist. So like many advocates, I get angry, right? You get angry. And sometimes when we're advocates, we get so angry that we start correcting people. You know, let's just say one of you said, you know, mental health challenges aren't real. You know, it's all, it's all just, you know, in your imagination, I might get angry and say, what the heck you don't understand. And, you know, I show you all the statistics and the data, but what happens is sometimes when we get angry in our pursuits of advocacy, we're not effective. We put up a wall between us and someone else, but instead of focusing on correcting people, you're wrong, you're wrong trying to work on connecting with people, you know, and I want to share a quick story about that, that happened. Uh, and Teresa and I, we, we got food, I mean, last year at this point now, and we, we were getting sushi and, and I remember it vividly. I can tell you exactly how this went down. We're sitting outside and, you know, I asked for water and they brought me a water bottle and she, she goes, no, no, no. I have my own water bottle and just takes it out of her bag. Right. And I'm just like, Oh, interesting. Right. You know, she didn't say anything to me about, you know, Michael, you shouldn't, you know, waste water, but nothing like that. We're just talking about life, you know? And I observed that. Well, I purchased recently my own water bottle, you know? Yay. So, <laughs> so Andreas did not yell at me or tell me I was wrong for <laughs> getting bottled water, you know, from, from the restaurant, but simply just, you know, sharing, you know, this, this is her bottle and, and how she carries it around. I was able to connect with that. I was like, Oh, that's a unique thing that you're doing and almost be curious and say, maybe I should do the same thing. So that's where as advocates, we can actually be more effective sometimes if we're not correcting people and fighting. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Cause we do talk about that a lot on this podcast about, you know, how do we effectively communicate climate action? And one of those things is don't come at people with shame because it's just not going to work out. So I'm really glad that you gave that example. And I'm, I'm honored that you, I had that impact on you. And I remember when you texted me to say that you bought a water bottle. I got so happy. You made my day. And something I wanted to say, because it wasn't until I met you that I was able to recognize that anger was actually my superpower kind of, and to share some of my life. And it's funny because people are like, do you have anger issues? I would never guess. <laughs> and then you talk to my husband. He's like, Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but as a child, I, 
I've done some therapy myself and I love my parents and my whole family, but I think it's just as a society, we are not, we don't know how to deal with anger. And so what I was taught as little was, you know, go, go sit in your own corner until you've worked it out and then come back for you in a better place. And so I was never taught how to deal with it. I just, I learned that it was something bad and I wasn't wanted if I was angry, you know, like now you're bringing something negative to this situation. So do you go sit by yourself until that's gone and then come back? And so I think that's the, the, the harm and, and, and I guess just misinformation about anger. And when you said to me, well, like, you don't want to let it go. Like you want to channel your anger. Like that's something great. And I was like, it's right. You know, like, because it's from this anger that I found the commitment to work for the planet It's from this anger that I have been able to pave the path to where I am today. And you told me then too, that you do try to channel that anger when you go on stage and, you know, you want to have that sort of like in your back pocket. So can you just kind of explain of like, like, how does that energy shift take place? Like, how does it go from something that can consume you into something that's actually very empowering? Wow, that's that's a great question. Uh, this is such a good conversation. <laughs> wow, and, and I hope you listeners out there are getting something out of this. Well, let me uh, talk about boxing class in New York City. So I go to boxing class, title boxing. I suck. I'm not good. I stay in the back of class, and this old lady kind of helps me all the time with the technique because I'm embarrassed. But here's the thing. I go to boxing not necessarily for fitness. I go for anger. Now, I can walk into boxing class and in a good mood, you know, get my gloves on and stuff and get ready. But when I start the actual act of doing the boxing, I purposely start thinking about resentments. And usually with anger, there's usually some people's faces that go with that. So I start thinking about those faces. I try to make them really big in my mind. I put them on the bag and I start punching and punching and thinking about it. And sometimes, you know, at the end of class, like the bell goes off, like we're done. And I'm still like hitting and hitting and hitting. But what happens is I walk out feeling like I just let out something good and I'm standing taller and stronger. And then what happens when you box is you actually start to use your legs. They get involved. It starts out with your arms, but your legs get involved. And oftentimes people don't realize when your legs are getting involved, you're actually taking your power back. You feel Mm -hmm. like you're standing on your own two feet. So it's really important to do that. Even the other day I was leg pressing in the gym and um, one of my therapists actually told me, said, Mike, when you leg press, Think about pushing energy through that machine and you're taking your power back. And it's like, I love leg day now. This is the first time I've ever seen this. I love leg day at the gym because I get to take my power back. So it's not really a specific set of steps. It's learning how to harness the memory, the emotion, the resentment, that thing, put it in your mind, amplify it, make it even bigger. <laughs> and then go and do the thing that you're supposed to do. And you'll be surprised the level of energy that comes out of you for getting stuff done. Do you think it always involves a physical action? Like, cause you mentioned boxing and drumming and, you know, leg pressing. Like, do you think there's a physical element that's really needed to, to help to channel the energy? Absolutely. There's this book that's taken over the world of mental health called The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about how we store emotions in our body. So when you're mm-hmm. angry at your friend and you feel it in your chest, it's not just in your mind, it's actually in your chest. And people actually store trauma in their physical bodies. So learning to figure out where the anger is coming from. So just a suggestion for all of you listening, three questions I ask myself throughout the day. One is what am I feeling? Now, 90% of the time I ask myself and I go, I don't know, but still by asking yourself that question, you start to gain awareness around your feelings. The second question, where is it located? I do that so I can locate it in my body. For example, this morning I woke up with depression and I was like, okay, I feel sad. Where's it located? Right over here in my stomach, 
for some reason. And just locating it gives you more awareness. And the third question, what do I need right now? And that's the one where you have the opportunity to reparent yourself. Some people might prefer to hear that or just take care of yourself. Sometimes you need a glass of water. Sometimes you need a hug. Sometimes you need to just shut off the computer, whatever it is, just by asking yourself that question, you gain awareness. So yes, it can be physical and that's a part of anger. And that's actually a part that people don't usually address. We think it's just like in someone's head. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to include the physical body in mental health stuff. And also just want to add to that, because I know animals, when they are stressed, they start to shake or they, you know, like they're actually activating their bodies to get rid of whatever that is. And so we're also animals in a way. And um, I know just from a personal experience, I can be so stuck in my own head. And then all I have to do is go for a walk or do a little dance or something. And like, I'm snapping out of it. So I think embodying whatever's going through your head can be a very fast way to at least step into a different sort of mindset. Yep. Absolutely. I love that in terms of those three questions, what am I feeling? Where is it located? And what do I need right now? That's great. I'm definitely going to, there's a lot of nuggets I'm taking from this conversation already. This is awesome. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, mental health specifically for a moment, because I have some, I do have a history of depression and anxiety. Um, Mental health is something that absolutely has has, has had and continues to have stigma. There used to be so much stigma around it. And I think that is changing. Thank goodness. Um, it is being talked about more since the pandemic. And since I feel like so many people have been forced to connect online, I feel like social media talks about mental health a lot. And some people might have that feeling of it's almost worse now, like somehow mental health has gotten worse. And it feels like, like many things, it's not that it's gotten worse. It's just been revealed. The things that have been under the surface are now able to be seen, experienced, talked about in a much more real and deep way. Um, what are some of the trends that you're noticing in terms of how we as humans here and, you know, we're in North and Central America for myself, you know, where, what are you seeing in terms of trends in mental health that are maybe both positive and negative, um, especially since the pandemic? That's a great question. I think when it comes to mental health and just actually, again, any subject, language is so important. And sometimes people, you know, you just go on Instagram, you can post whatever you want, right? Sometimes people throw out um, terms and don't even realize what they're saying. You know, oh my God, I feel so bipolar today. And they might not realize that the person looking at that post battles with bipolar disorder every single day. So it's really important that people are aware of the language that they use and just educate themselves on that. It's not about being politically correct. It's just about being empathetic to others who might be struggling with this stuff. So that's something that I I see a lot of people as, yes, we're talking about it more, but we still got to do a better job around the language. The other thing is like many things in this world, I can't believe I'm about to say this first time on a podcast, misinformation. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a thing. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think it was someone on my team. My uh, brand director was telling me that nowadays a meme, if I send you a meme, a text you a meme, it has more power than an actual news story, you know? Wow. And, and so the thing is, it's really important to get accurate information People don't always do that because sometimes, oh, our friend sends us this. It must be true. Yada, yada. And mm-hmm. we're heard on this podcast, so it must be true. So it's really important that people vet 
you know, stuff. At the same time, people are talking about it more and more. It's affected work culture. Uh, more workplaces are investing in it now more than ever and people's work-life balance. Also catering a job to someone's unique mental health needs. That's really cool. On my podcast, one of the things we're talking about in an upcoming episode is communicating with clients, um, if you're self-employed, about your mental health needs as you also are working to get a job done that you're hired for. Mm -hmm. So we're figuring that out. So it's not a perfect thing, but the cool thing is people are talking about it now more than ever. Yeah. Can you just share with what your name of your podcast is? So we'll have everything linked to the show notes, but just so our listeners start to become familiar. Oh, I, I get to plug my show. Oh, it's, of called, course. Better <laughs> it's called Better Mental. And um, yeah, it's me and uh, Leanna Lee. And we are talking about mental health when you are self-employed or own your own business, which in and of itself brings its own mental health challenges. So um, yeah, I encourage you to check that out. But yeah, you know, mental health is a thing. I do want to say this about stigma because people always ask me about stigma. And I wrote this book, Transforming Stigma. Um, stigma is a mark of shame that you carry around about something. That's what it is. And it's something that is still in the world. And there are two reasons for it. And I want you to understand this very carefully. The first is what I call the law of confusion and frustration. Um, years ago, I was working out in the gym. I was doing this push-up routine where you put your hand in different positions. I was trying to impress this woman in the gym. I'm not going to lie. And so I ended up, I hurt my wrist. I hurt my wrist. And so I played it off, got out of the gym, went home, iced my wrist. I knew, wait two days. If it's not better, call a doctor. It's either a sprain, a strain, or a broken wrist. Mental health doesn't work that way. Most people don't wake up and go, oh, I'm depressed. Maybe I should talk to someone today. Typically, someone discovers it for you. The other is what I call the law of inclusion and exclusion. If you think about kindergartners for a second, if you pretend the three of us are in kindergarten right now on the playground, I could just totally see that actually. And <laughs> the two of you have uh, Nike sneakers, but I have Reebok. You're going to call me weird. That's what kids do in kindergarten on the playground. They call each other weird. We think it's cute and we all did it. But think about what they're doing. They're figuring out who is in the group and who is not in the group. And we bring that with us throughout school into adulthood. And we know who's in the group and who's not. And nobody wants to feel like the weird one. So that's one of the reasons that the stigma exists around mental health. Confusing, complex, and frustrating. And no one wants to feel like the weird one. Hmm. In terms of the climate movement, and a lot of our listeners in our show, um, we're dealing with all the doom and gloom of climate change and a lot of, I think, frustration and anger and despair in terms of climate deniers, for one, although that group is getting smaller, thankfully, but also the fact that governments may not be doing what they should be doing. And even if they are, it's not ha happening fast enough. And there's all this Again, stigma, but also eco-shaming of if you do try, you're not trying hard enough. And it's it's a lot to deal with. And then what happened just yesterday, there's another oil spill. And then you see that video on social media. And so there is a lot of very difficult emotions to deal with. And as you know, Mike, I'm a climate optimist. And so I've tried to figure out, you know, how to turn that those emotions into something positive and productive. But since you are an expert on anger. And since so many of our listeners are dealing with anger, I'm sure on almost a daily basis, what would you give as an advice to those people, to us? Well, first of all, uh, thank you to all of you who are doing work around climate change. Thank you. Your work is important and it is making a difference. But I want you to understand something about advocacy around anything. We like to see... Um, results of things in this world, right? If, if I start working out and I want to see the scale go down or up, whatever I'm trying to do. 
you know, if I'm saving money, I want to see my bank account go up or whatever. A lot of times when you really care about something like climate change or mental health, the results that are going to come from your efforts might not come in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that you realize that you might not get to see those results, but that doesn't mean you should change anything. It's not about seeing the result. It's about doing the right thing because you never know. Go back to the uh, story before about the water bottle, right? So again, Anthony's getting food. She just shows a water bottle because that's what she uses. I now buy one. Well, I have two friends that come over and see my water bottle. Oh, where'd you get this? Maybe they buy one too. I tell them the story. You never know what effect your efforts have. So it's really important to trust that doing the right thing will sometimes multiply in many ways that you just never get to see. And that's important. Uh, We get caught up in the negativity of things we see on the news all the time. That's always going to happen, but still keep your efforts going. And I promise you, if you keep that in mind, that at the end of the day, you might not be able to see the results and that's okay. That might be the thing that keeps you going when you are really angry and just can't take it anymore. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. We talk about that a lot of the ripple effect of our work and how there are profound changes that are happening that we don't get to see. We don't get to see just from proximity and things that are happening that we've affected other people and we don't know what they're doing in their lives, but also just, you know, how the world is changing. Um, it gives me a lot of hope. I will say that does keep me going. It gives it me doesn't. a lot of hope. And can I say one other thing that might help? So, you know, talk about the people who, what do we call the people who are against climate change or climate deniers? <laughs> okay. You know, so we got mental health deniers and climate deniers. I wonder if you're the same person, actually. <laughs> There's probably some overlap, I hate to say, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I have dealt with a few, I'll say mental health deniers. And I remember one in particular who was just, he was almost attacking me saying, you know, this stuff is fake. It's all in your head, man up, you know. All, oh, all boy. Yeah. And, and see, I didn't allow myself to explode on him and, and correct him. I, I just listened and dealt with my anger privately, kept doing my work, put my anger into, well, I'm just going to keep putting the work out there. Well, several years ago, he reached out to me because he had a family member who was struggling with mental health. So it became real all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Now, what I didn't do was I told you so. <laughs> that's, <laughs> but you wanted to. <laughs> as thing as it is. <laughs> but, but what it was, and this is what I want all of you listening to remember, it was a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the people that are climate deniers need to have an experience where there's a teachable moment to show them. You telling them is not going to do it. You sending them a video is not going to do it, but something happening in their life that really hits home in a painful way is an opportunity for you to come in with love and teach them about climate change. And something too, I just want to add, because I was actually asked this question just yesterday is what do you do in a situation where you are encountering a climate denier? Um, like what, what can you say? And I basically gave the same answer. And we have talked to this about this too, to Catherine Hayhoe, which is a previous guest in our show that just, you know, find an exit strategy. Don't even try, don't waste your energy there. And I mean, I, I think you can listen um, and try to understand, but again, like, like you said, trying to convince them that, that they're wrong, you're right, it's just not going to lead anywhere good. And you're going to spend a lot of your energy trying to do the impossible until that teachable moment happens and you cannot force that to happen. It's just going to have to happen on their terms or whatever universe, the universe throw their way. Until then, it's not in your chart to make them think differently. And I think just reminding ourselves that like, 
Okay, I know this conversation is sparking a lot of frustration, a lot of anger in me right now, and I'm going to use this anger to something else. It's going to be my force that I'm like, okay, thank you for fueling my anger. Now I'm going to take this anger and go somewhere else and make something productive out of it. But throwing it back at the person who sparked it is not going to lead to anything good. And so I think remembering that can help us stay sane. I, I, I completely support that. Sometimes you're just going to have to give up, you know, but there are also times where you'll be in a conversation. Maybe you just can't get out of, I don't know if you've ever, had <laughs> you know, and um, one of the things that I have found, and again, this, this is why it's so important to take care of your emotions and mental health, because when you come into a situation that's difficult, you want to be the one that holds it together. You want to be the one that keeps your stuff together. If everyone else is getting all angry around you, you want to be the one that's grounded. But one thing that I found certain times when I'm having a conversation with a denier and I listen with an open heart, not listen to change them, listen and just say, okay, so tell me more. And, and where did you learn that? Okay. And, and who else taught you about that? Okay. You'd be surprised that they might say, well, can you tell me about your perspective? if you approach it that way. Mm -hmm. But the key is not listening with the intent to change someone else, listening with the intent to just simply understand. And you might be surprised that someone might just say, well, well, I wanna hear your perspective and understand you now. And then you've got a doorway for a teachable moment. That's beautiful. Because one of the things that came to mind when I was listening to both of you talk just now is the, the power of I statements. That when we try and teach the people things about like, well, this is how it is in the world there's something that they may be able to argue. But if you're talking about your own experience, people can't argue with that. So if you say, well, I've had the experience of this, you know, I've seen this firsthand. This is what I've witnessed. This is what I've been learning. It's all coming from your own perspective. And, you know, my, my opinion on this is, and my take on this is, as opposed to this is how it is. And you must come to the light person, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I carry my own water bottle, right? I mean, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, you mentioned therapy and there's a lot of stigma still around therapy. I was even talking to my family today and it was mentioned in sort of this negative light. And I was like, whoa, 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 therapy's awesome. <laughs> and I just always like to find any opportunity to plug that if you, um, if, if you have the means to engage in a therapist, if there's um, support systems that you can engage in, how powerful that can be. And I will say, speaking of I statements, personally, I have had so much personal growth and I feel so much better in my own body having done therapy for the past two years. And it's changed my relationship, it's changed my relationship with myself. I know so much more about myself now. I feel like, I feel like a lot of like emotional guck was removed and like baggage and things that got out of the way. I'm like, oh, I'm more streamlined now. So I was wondering for you, Mike, what are some of the things that have been really helpful for you? What are some of the things that you do maybe on a daily basis or regularly that supports your cup being really full? Oh, wow. Such a good question. And, and just, Robin, I, I think you're awesome. I, I love that you do that. Hey, I get you. You know, the thing that I bring up, and for those of you listening who are not sure about therapy, um, there's a restaurant in the United States of America called the Outback Steakhouse. And, <laughs> and they have this dish called the Bloomin' Onion. If you've never seen this thing, you got to see this thing. What they do is they take a giant onion, they deep fry it, and it comes out and you see all the layers it has. And I think that 
image is very important because you and I both know an onion has layers, but when the blooming onion comes out, you get to see the layers. Let me say that again. You and I both know an onion has layers, but when the blooming onion comes out, you get to see the layers. That's what therapy and counseling do. It's not about you being in a bad place or a place you go to when you're you know, really struggling. It's about self-discovery. You see, there's what you know about yourself, what you don't know about yourself, and what you didn't know that you didn't realize that you didn't know about yourself. And that's what therapy and counseling do. So it's an opportunity for growth. And those of you that are listening that are thinking, well, I've been to therapy before. I don't want to have to share my whole story again. That's usually a sign you need to share your story again. <laughs> so I'm just like, no. But for me, um, I do transcendental meditation twice a day, uh, 20 minutes twice a day. I'm very big on that, on just getting the mind quiet. Um, I exercise. I live in a home that um, is surrounded by nature. Uh, nature is very important for me. And just, you know, learning to put boundaries in my life, getting rid of toxic people. This is a whole separate episode for us. I'm getting rid of toxic people. Coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's so important because, you know, they say, what is it? You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I mean, I'm sure the both of you can think of certain people in your life that you spend like just 30 seconds talking to them and you're just messed up for the whole week. So it's really important to be intentional about that. Mm. Yes. I love that. And I love, um, I'm so interested to learn that you do TM because it's something that is, um, Justin, my husband's uncle is actually like one of the head teachers of TM in Canada. So yeah. So we got initiated in TM many years ago and I, it's a reminder that I need to practice more often because I don't do it as consistently as I need to. Um, but it's, it's wonderful. That's part of your practice. Thank you for sharing. That. Can you guys just explain what that is for anyone who has never heard of it? How do we explain? You want to explain, Mike? <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> okay. I, I I can I can get into it if you want. Um, so transcendental meditation was started by a guru in India. Who can you help me say his name? Maharshi Mahesh Yogi. Thank you. And um, there are many different forms of yoga and meditation that have come from India and specifically been been brought actually to the West. So um, I, I want to just make this point that there's a lot of people that see yoga as a way to um, sort of like have cultural appropriation. And I think that's a very interesting discussion, but I just want to put, make a note that there are a lot of practices that specifically came from gurus in India who wanted to bring it to the West for learning here. Um, so please engage in this, you know, this type of work. Um, I, I don't personally see that as a, as cultural appropriation because they, they brought it to us to help us grow. Um, and so TM, you, you, um, you get initiated into it. So it's a process where you work with someone who's highly trained, you get, um, a mantra that is specific, specific to you that they give to you. And it's a meditation that you do for 20 minutes, two times a day. And the idea of it is that you, you do this meditation to sort of change your, your brain frequency. And if I remember my uncle, David, Justin's uncle talking about this correctly, he talked about how the same, um, wavelength that happens in your brain. It's, I think the same one that happens when you're a baby. And when, when you're nursing, there's like very few times in your life when you have that, but it's a very healthy brainwave to come back to. Do you want to throw anything else? Oh, Robin, we, we're friends now. You and me. Um, <laughs> we, we're friends. Yes. Um, yes. You know, TM, the idea with meditation in general, and by the way, we're, we're in a day and age of, of apps like calm and headspace um, is quieting the mind. 
is quieting the mind. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're passionate, chances are your mind is going and going and going all the time. And the human brain is not meant to just go and go and go all the time. So TM is a, a scientifically proven way to shut your mind off for like 20 minutes. And it's pretty amazing. You don't have to even be spiritual or anything to do it. It's, it's not even about that. It can be that if you want it, but it's, it's about, you know, shutting off your mind and you'd be surprised. Um, I call it the gift that I give myself twice a day. You know, I look forward to that. Like you wouldn't believe I got my own little meditation chair in a little meditation room. And, and it's just my time to just really just be at peace with myself. So that's one of the things that I do for self-care is uh, meditation. Big part of it. Wonderful. The image that kind of came to me as both of you were speaking, and especially when you said you shut off your mind a little bit, it's like, you know, when you use the computer for too long and it gets really hot. And you have to just like shut it down so you can just have a little break. That's our brains. You know, like you can't just ha- like, it's a lot to ask from a brain to keep going. And not only that, but like we ruminate at night and then we think about this and you wake up and you start going right away. So I'm someone who's trying to bring a lot more meditation into my life. Um, so I'll, I'll maybe give this a go if someone initiates me, but good, good um, daily habits. Also nature for me is a, uh, a no-brainer. It really just grounds you. Um, I will just add, actually, as I'm a passionate tree hugger, that if you ever feel, I don't know, just any sort of mental distraction, or if you feel uneasy or stressed or anything, hugging a tree, it can be one of the most grounding things there is. And it's really simple. I know you might look a little weird, but you have to get over that fact and just be like, you know, it's a stigma anyway. So whatever, I'm going to hug a tree. Um, I would just plug that for anyone who's listening because I find it so powerful. Mike, this has been so wonderful. I am very honored to have you on our show. Um, we have one final question for you. Is there anything else you want to plug before we sort of wrap this up? Yes, I want to plug a book actually that I think is important for all of you who are passionate about climate change. It's a marketing book called Hug Your Haters. And it really talks about exactly what the title is, learning to actually hug your haters and how that can really create loyalty um, with customers. But I think as many of you want to see change in the world and you're dealing with these climate deniers and whatever these other people are, it's important that you get some new tools beyond just being angry about it um, to be effective. So that's something I encourage you to recommend. And, you know, my website is www.mikevini.com. My last name is spelled V like in Victor. E is in Edward, N is in Nancy, Y is in yellow. And I invite you to reach out to me if I could ever be of help to you or just want to say hello. Thank you. We'll make sure to link all of this in the show notes and thank you for the book plug as well. And I know that you have other books also. So hopefully we can find all those on your website. Um, so, okay. The final question we have that we'd like to ask all our guests, and this is going to be very interesting to hear from you because you're not typically someone from the climate world, but are you a climate optimist? And if so, why or why not? Yes, I'm a climate optimist actually, because repetition changes things over time. You know, um, if you look at any movement in this world, it started with, you know, someone repeating it and people saying, you know, what are you talking about? You know, and over time it, it got there. And I'm seeing that even in areas that are very conservative in the United States, which we think, you know, they don't do the whole climate change thing are actually starting to get more into it in certain ways. So I am an optimist and uh, yeah. I love that. 
And I love that, that nod to how repetition changes things and to keep coming back to that climate optimism or whatever it is that you, you know, that you want to see the changes to keep coming back to it. That's a wrap on season four. Make sure you subscribe to the Hey Change podcast to get notified when season five drops. And thank you for all your love and support for the show and for joining us in being an optimist in action. Should we try something cheesy and do a say at the same time? So if you say, so without further ado. <laughs> okay, let's do it. I'm feeling okay. like it. Okay, without further ado, let's, let's dive in. Dive in. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.